I want to uh, share with you a quote that I came across this week from uh, somebody whose name will be familiar to a lot of you. Uh, For those of you who uh, have come across this devotional book, uh, daily devotional book, 365 readings through the year, called My Utmost for His Highest. Some of you are familiar with that, uh, written by Oswald Chambers. Uh, And uh, I came across a quote from this. uh, Can you put up that? There you see that that thoughtful looking man Um, looks 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 really intelligent. Right. At least he does to me. If you can tell by looking at somebody if they're intelligent or not. You're looking at me right now and you have a question. Uh, This is what Oswald Chambers said about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if you can read that, but I'm reading it for you. The Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about this, right? You can't live this life on your own. At least I can't. By myself, I can't do what Jesus said a person who's living for God will do. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting His way with us. When the Holy Spirit is getting His way with me, this is what it will look like. This is what it will feel like and this is what it will how it will appear to those who are watching this morning i um i want to uh, give you fortunately my text this morning is a short text it's only four verses and it only covers one one thing to talk about this is 13 in the series jesus speaks about how we help those in need now So far, Jesus has made three main points. There are three main sections of the Sermon on the Mount that are already behind us in chapter 5, beginning with that section we call the Beatitudes, the statements of blessing. Uh, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Remember that section? That was the first, the introductory section, sort of an overview of what the whole message is going to bring. And then was the section that we were reminded of this morning, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And then we just finished the third section, uh, several applications, six applications of the perfect fulfillment of the law and what it looks like in my In my life, you remember Jesus made six statements. You have heard that it was said by the people long ago. But I say to you, and just when we're thinking he's going to let us up off the mat and give us a breather, he says, uh, you thought it was hard. I'm telling you, it's not hard. It's impossible. And we finished that section last week. And uh, so... In chapter 6, where we begin this morning, Jesus' next point uh, in the Sermon on the Mount is what I'm calling our 
religious practices, notice the quote fingers here, the religious practices and the motivation that drives them. And here he is going to give us three very common religious things that people do and say, if you're doing these religious things, this is how not to do them, and this is how to do them. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness, your religious actions, your religious acts. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Somebody sent me a nice encouraging email yesterday. I'm not going to say who. Uh, they, they commented on something they saw me doing on Friday evening and uh, how that was uh, an encouragement and a blessing and they encouraged me for having noticed that I was doing this thing. And I'm thinking, oh no! I thought I was getting one in. And sure enough, somebody noticed. Now that's not what Jesus means, okay? That's not what Jesus means. I'm, I'm okay, because that wasn't why I was doing it. That I would be noticed, that people would think well of me, because I was doing a religious thing. And I, I kind of alluded to this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about... Um, how what I say and what I don't say matters. Don't make vows. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I told you that story about how I made it all the way through army basic training without swearing or singing, singing naughty cadences. Remember that story? And, and how it finished was, oh, I was thinking of myself as somehow superior to the people who were saying the bad things. And so I just traded one failing for another one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. How, how we practice our righteous acts is what's important. How we do it and why we do it to do the things we do in order to be noticed by other people might be very impressive to those people. I'd like to have a fellowship hall named the Ashley Memorial Fellowship Hall. <laughs> he fellowshiped like nobody else, man. He really hit that potluck table, boy. <laughs> you know, those... those Pie carriers, like two or three tier pie carriers. No, that's, that's, the, that's the serving stuff we need to have for potlucks, right? So you can get all, a little of all of it and it doesn't all run together. God is not interested at all in what I do to impress you. God says, have at it. Do, do whatever you want to do to impress each other. 
and impress each other and be impressed by one another. Just don't think that it impresses me. We've been working and we've been working our way through this Sermon on the Mount. We've noticed this again and again and again, haven't we? In fact, I kept saying it to you week after week after week. God is way more interested in the inside of me than the outside of me. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. You see what I do. God sees why I do what I do. And God is more interested in my why than in my what. Here's the first example of three that Jesus is going to give us in this section on how we do our acts of righteousness. Three examples of our righteous deeds. We're talking about just the first of them today. Giving to others who are in need. This is a kind of a general statement. If you see a brother or a sister who is in need, and you are in a position to help, do it. But even worldly people, even unsaved people, even evil people do this, don't we? Hurricane Katrina, natural disaster, people doesn't matter. I mean, uh, who is it? Somebody McLaughlin sings that song and makes us want to give to animal rights. You, you know what I'm talking about. We have in us, we, we human beings have within us, some of us it's harder to reach than others, but we have it in us to help people who need help or even animals who need help. We have it in us to do that. That doesn't mean that we're Christian because that isn't how we are Christian. But <laughs> that's some enthusiasm, isn't it? I couldn't let that one go. I couldn't. It's how, it's how we give. So, so Jesus says this. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Hey, everybody, look at this large check that I'm about to put in the offering. Check this one out. I've made it payable to the benevolent fund, which, by the way, is a good idea. See, I worked it in there, Gene. I, I plugged the general, the benevolent fund, like you asked me to. <laughs> yes. But, 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 what? I just did it to be seen by men, didn't I? Oh. So, Jesus says, when you do this stuff... Don't make a big show of it. The hypocrites do that. The hypocrites, that's a term that Jesus often uses to describe people who are doing things for the wrong reasons. Well, the things they're doing are good things. And I'm glad that we have hypocrites. Because a lot of good things get done. 
I'm not sure that I want to leave that standing the way I... I'm, I'm glad that people do nice things to help people. I am glad of that. And I appreciate it. And, and a lot of help has been done. A lot of good has been done. And continues to be done. And let's pour it on. Where help is needed, let's give it. Kelly and I are in a position now in our lives where we're able to help more than we could when we were younger. And we're delighted to be able to do that. But doing it to be noticed by others, Jesus says, they've already received their reward. And that's fine. Maybe that's the reward they wanted. I want people to think well of me. I want my name to be remembered after I'm gone. I want my loved one's name to be displayed over the door of a building as people come in to be treated for their illness. They are coming into the um, Jane Doe Center for Cancer Treatment. Okay, great. That's, we're going we're gonna to think about that person and we're going to remember that person and the people that loved her or him and wanted to, wanted to do something that would help other people so that that person would be remembered. Wonderful. That's why they did it. And, and let's give them what they wanted because they've provided for others. Good. It's just not going to by a paving stone in heaven. If you, make, if you see what I'm saying. Jesus says they have already received their reward. It's a transaction. I do something good, expecting something good in return. I get it. I'm happy. Okay. But you've left something better on the table. If you've accepted the good that the world can give you, instead of the great that God offers you, you've made a mistake. You traded something very good and have left out something far, far better. And so Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, uh, you and I, we can agree. This is what we call hyperbole. Hyperbole. Exaggerated statements or claims not meant to be taken literally. First of all, my left hand doesn't know anything. And my right hand, it doesn't know anything. It's the thing between them that knows or doesn't know, right? Imagine, imagine if the instruction Jesus gave was taken literally in this way. When you put an offering in the offering basket, close your eyes, pull out your wallet, take out all the currency that is in there, and put it in the offering plate without looking at how much you gave. You probably have a couple of gas receipts folded up inside there and 
and this and that, maybe a business card, but you just take everything out of your wallet and throw it in the offering. Would you do it? If I told you today we're doing it next Sunday, would you check and make sure that you loaded your wallet right? The temptation would be, um, I'll put in my wallet today only what I am willing to part with. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking carefully, instead of following the impulse that God puts in me, when God says to me, when he taps me and he says, um, I, want you, I want you to see this. I want you, Dennis, I want you to see this. I want you to see this need. I want you to see this situation that someone around you is in. Have you had that experience? Have you had that experience where somehow you notice something that you are not typically expecting to notice? Some information comes to you and you become aware of something that's happening that isn't exactly the way you think it should be happening, and you realize, I could do something about this. I might not be able to fix the whole problem, but I could do something. I walk back and forth from the ministry house to the entrance under the red awning from the school several times a week. And uh, usually I have a purpose for making the trip. I'm going to talk to somebody or I have to bring something over here or pick something up from here. And uh, maybe you're like me. As you're walking along, you notice things out of the corner of your eye. You notice something on the ground. It catches your eye. Well, I have been noticing now for several trips something on the pavement that looked like it didn't belong there. It wasn't obvious. It wasn't plain for everyone to see. You had to almost walk on it to notice it. But I noticed it several times. Uh-oh. Right there is a problem for me. I noticed this thing several times before I finally realized, hey, dummy, stop, bend over. Maybe that was my problem. Bend over and pick it up. I finally did. I finally did. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, see, because I just blew it again. You just, you just, <laughs> you, you just heard me say, okay, so, but I'm, the benefit for me is that I get to use this as an illustration. And, and if I don't get a reward in heaven for that, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that. It was a broken plastic fork. It was the, f- the tined end of a broken plastic fork. Black. And it would every once in a while just catch the light so that I would notice it. And I walked past it every time I noticed it until the last time. When I finally said... All right, Dennis, stop walking past this. The reason you're noticing it is because it doesn't belong there. 
It doesn't matter how it came to be there. I think I said this here in this room several months ago. Some of you might remember it. It doesn't matter who made the mess. I am in the mess. The person who made it isn't going to do anything about it. But here I am. I can decide to let the mess remain. Or I can do what I can do to start making it better. And so I finally picked up that piece of trash. I'm embarrassed that it had to take me a week to make the decision to do something about it. And the reason I'm telling you this story is sometimes God puts something in front of me and help, and causes me to notice it because there's an opportunity for me to do something about it. And maybe you'll remember me saying this the next time you experience noticing something that is the way it should not be and saying, you know what? A big deal, a little deal, it doesn't matter. I could do something to make this better. And so I will. And then you do. And you've made it better. Here's a little uh, uh, comical picture. Here's the left hand saying, how much did you put in the offering? And the right hand is saying, that's none of your business. Um, Kelly and I, from time to time, we've had, we've had a situation that we both become aware of. It doesn't matter what it is. She and I will say, um, we, we should do something and, and we will agree. And, and then we will, the next question is usually, uh, how much? And here's the amazing thing, and I've noticed this, I've noticed this with Kelly and I, I've noticed this with the elders when a, when a request comes to the elders for help from the benevolent fund, which by the way could use your help. Anyway, when we ask, when we, when we set this before God to say, God, you wanted us to see this, what do you want us to do? It has happened to, to Kelly and I so many times. It's, I can't even begin to re, recount all the times it's happened. A number will come into my mind and, and the, the very same number will come into Kelly's mind. And we will completely agree. Yes, that's what we should do. And when we do that, when we follow the prompting that God has put on us, it doesn't cost us anything. Let me say that again. It doesn't cost us anything because when you do what God wants you to do, He gives you the means to do it. Can I say that again? When you do what God wants you to do, He gives you the means to do it. It's when we don't do. It's when we dig in and we let that left hand and that right hand argue. Uh, I don't know. I had that money set aside. When we argue with the prompting of God, that's when we miss an opportunity for God to pour into our lives and overflow. Overflow. So the extra that God has poured into my life is ample to cover the response to the need that God points out to me. That's a principle that uh, I want 
to make sure you get from me. Now, there are, there are three reasons I can think of why we give to those in need. And the first one is wrong. And this is what Jesus said. When we're motivated by pride, that somebody will see the generous act I've done and I will get, I will get my ego stroked. It doesn't matter to the person in need because they got help. And good things get done by people for the wrong reasons. We've already talked about that. But the person who does the good thing for the bad reason is not going to get the lasting reward. They're just going to get a fleeting reward. And they'll have to keep chasing that. They'll have to keep chasing that to get the feeling that they're trying to get when we're motivated by pride. Here's, a, here's an image that I want to put up in front of you. Here's a guy taking a selfie uh, as he gives a bag of groceries to a family in need. I don't know if you can see clearly in this representation the expressions of the people receiving the help. Uh, the one little boy is very excited. The boy in dad's arms is excited. The boy clinging to dad's leg is a little terrified. And the mother and the father, the expressions on their face look, look I don't know. How, how you see this is, is maybe different than the way I see it. I see, I see the looks in the faces of the people receiving this help and being the subject of this guy's selfie, self-aggrandizement. They're being a little um, embarrassed, a little hurt, a little humiliated. Shamed. So when, when someone helps me to stroke their pride, I pay for it. Maybe. But when Jesus helps people, he doesn't help us in a way that makes us feel shamed. Are, am I right? God doesn't use shame. That's not his tool. His, our adversary is the one who makes a lot of hay with the shame tool. This guy is doing his act of service to be seen. He is promoting himself. The celebrity giver, now the celebrity giver, might inspire a lot of other people to give. Okay. And, and a lot of good gets done by, you know, those heart-jerking, heart-tugging commercials. Those sad songs. But sometimes the good that we're doing does not do the good that we thought it was doing. Our uh, redemptive compassion class has been talking a lot about we want to help people in a way that doesn't hurt them. Let's talk about the good, the right reasons to give to people in needs. There are some, at least two, that I want to talk about. And the first is one um, that I think you'll recognize. Oh, no, I'm already at 1121. Where was my, where was my warning flag? Oh, here it is. There it is. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, we can give when we're motivated by compassion. Compassion is a feeling of deep sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love to give where I can because I feel compassion for those less fortunate than me in the moment. I feel that welling up in me and there's a sense of joy that comes through when you have helped to ensure that someone else has enough. God puts compassion in our heart to recognize other people are struggling. I have the means to help relieve their struggle, and so I do it. That's what Jesus described as a good reason to give. And second, when we are motivated by gratitude. There but for the grace of God go you and I. Everybody has heard that statement, right? There but for the grace of God go you and I. There there at some point in my life went I. Now I see another person who is struggling and I have the means to help. I'm grateful for the blessing in my life and so I share it. When I think of all that God has done for me. And I don't only mean the material blessings. I don't only mean the prosperity that you and I may or may not enjoy. I'm talking more about the spiritual blessings, starting with the fact that I have, I have been forgiven a debt amassed by the weight of my sin that I could never repay. There was a little chorus that I learned at some point years ago. He paid a debt he did not owe. You know the song? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. His name is Jesus, and he washed my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long, because Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And that motivates gratitude in me. I have one more image to share with you, and then I'm done. Uh, you'll recognize this character, Winnie the Pooh and his little friend Piglet. This quote from A.A. Milne. Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. How much gratitude can your heart hold? Pray with me, please. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you have done for every one of us. Thank you, Father, that sometimes you allow us to see a need and you allow us to help respond to that need because of the compassion you have for us that has taught us to be compassionate to others. And because of our remembering what you have done for us and the gratitude that wells up in us
and overflows into the lives of those around us. Help us when we do our acts of righteousness, not to do them for the praise of others, but rather out of a desire to represent you and all that you have done for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're sorry for the thing we've made it. Help us as, as we go, as we uh, have heard from your word this morning, uh, to not let our left hand know what our right is doing. Help us to know what that looks like as we, as we approach each day. To not let our pride come between us and you. Bless and keep us as we go, as we now share a time of fellowship, and uh, thank you for the uh, food that you're about to bless us with, in Jesus' name. Amen.